0: The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.
1: Today we have Scott Carson, who's known on the internet as the note guy. So we're gonna be talking about distressed notes. Um, it's a, I guess, a niche real estate investment strategy that not everyone knows about, um, but we got Scott on here is a true expert. He has his own podcast, The Note Closure Show, which has over 700 episodes. And he's been on a, about 300, 400 other episodes as guests. So we definitely got a experienced expert here to tell some good stuff. So Scott, welcome on the show.
0: Well, Ben, hey, I'm honored to be here, bud, and thanks for having me, and just uh, honored to, to spend the day here, spend an hour or so with you, or whatever, how long we talk about uh, notes or real estate, and and, and really give them back to your audience. Thank you for having me.
1: Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, as always, we like to start with asking you, what's your first milestone in real estate?
0: Wow. First, My first milestone in real estate, I guess, would be saying, you know, buy my first investment property. You could go to that, but that flopped. You know, I was... Uh, you know, we bought our first house in 2001, and then bought first investment property a few months later. Think you know 100% findings, and thought I'd be a, a landlord. And then I got I got laid off and lost my job. My tenant got laid off, lost his job. We had a second investment property, but it lost. So I think my first milestone may have been buying an investment property, but I think the bigger learning curve was getting rid of those two, getting out of a bad situation, licking my chops, and then a little later, not letting past mis- uh, mistakes stop me from taking action. So, uh, you know, if that makes sense, I learned a lot from my mistakes and, and learned, okay, this is what I want to do. And I remember buying that true first investment property the right way and uh, and going from there. And it's it's been an interesting thing. I've been, a, I guess you'd say an active investor for 20 years, but I haven't had a W-2 job since 2004. So over 18 years of making money as a mortgage broker and a real estate investor uh, full-time since then. So that that's a little background there, I guess it would be a long, long answer to your short question.
1: Well, yeah, I guess that's very interesting. Uh, I kind of, I guess most of the first milestones in real estate we've had were not flops, which is uh, funny because you think it's a, a pretty big learning curve. But um, when was that your first couple investments? And like in terms of what year was that? And then um, has that influenced you in terms of focusing a lot on the debt side rather than the equity side?
0: So my first, I believe our first house 2001, but first of us probably later that year. And that's what we had to get rid of. We went traditionally 100% financing because we had great credit scores, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. if I go back to 2000, if I fast forward a couple of years, 2004, the first investment property was a uh, subject to deal that was around the block from where I lived. I was able to, you know, I saw this vacant house and the yard needed to be mowed, you know, driving for dollars. A lot of folks oh, yeah. do, you know what I mean? And was able to contact the bar. We moved out of town. It was a divorce situation where... Uh, he had access to home, but his wife made the decision on selling it, which was weird. So I had to work with two divorce, you know, two divorce parties. Neither one of them wanted the house, but we were able to walk out about having sign the property over to us subject to the existing financing. And he gave me a hundred dollars to mow the lawn too. So <laughs> I always make the joke. The first true house that I walked into that I walked away with, I actually walked away with the keys and a hundred bucks, but, uh, that was exciting, but really what, Directed me into the note business. What I had a couple mentors. One of my money partners, and then a guy that I learned real estate investing from, and we was a co-sponsor of our mortgage company from 2004 to 2008. Really taught me the note business. And what we learned, like many people, about notes is that we learned how to do creative financing, origination, subject, you know, owner financing, or wraparound mortgages. But when everything hit the fan in 2008, there was the opportunity with the the recession. All this distressed debt is. You know, I left the origination side of the business and started calling banks and lenders out there who had non performing stuff on their books and started buying that stuff there. So, I, I, I guess you could say I've always been in the mortgage industry of some sort creatively. You know, we've done fix and flips and had rentals and other things like that and wholesale too. But for the most part, I really do enjoy buying notes and I, I'm literally buying the debt, becoming the bank and the. Great thing about what we do is I don't want to end up with a real estate. I just want to hold the cash like a bank because when we buy the notes, we're not really owning the property, but we do control it. And we've done a lot of good by working with homeowners who are, you know, six months behind or more on their mortgage or, you know, commercial property owners who are behind. And we'll buy that debt direct from the bank at a big discount, become the bank. And that gives us all the flexibility we need since we bought it at a discount to work with the borrowers, work with the homeowners to either keep them in the property by setting up a payment plan or modification, helping them walk away from the property if they don't want to keep it through deedling, cash for keys, or selling the asset, or see if they don't play ball with us, then we, you know, we're forced to foreclose and, and take the property back that way, or sell it at auction. So, um, you know, it's been an interesting 15 years uh, as a note investor since I bought my first note in 2007, and we've closed over a billion dollars in debt in that time frame. But th- there's a lot of opportunity going on right now. There's always distressed debt. But I'll tell you right now, Ben, in the next 12, 24, and 36 months, it's going to be the big short part two, if that makes any sense.
1: you. Yes, we should definitely get into that because um I haven't heard too many bearish perspectives on the market, um, on the podcast or on, on any of the podcasts I've listened to. So I definitely want to get into that. But um before we talk about the big short part two, I kind of want you to you paint an image for us of two, uh, 2008 being a... a mortgage i guess a note investor um you know what kind of deals were you getting what was the whole picture of the industry from that side of the business and um you know how did you see it as an opportunity ending your originations business and going into this business
0: so i'll give you an example i got a tape i got a spreadsheet in, in the note business we get lists of notes you know first mortgages second mortgages uh from banks and hedge funds and, and on these t- lists or we call them tapes is, is lingo for the industry it may be one property or one note, or it may be a thousand plus. And the first tape I got was from a company called Wells Fargo Financial, like Wells Fargo neighborhood subprime lender back in the day. And they sent me over 75 non-performing firsts that they wanted anywhere, get this from anywhere from like 500 to like 5,000 bucks for these assets. So the first note I bought was on a Michigan, Detroit, Michigan property. Bar was gone. It was, it was ugly and ugly neighbor, but I only paid 500 bucks for it. Okay. And I sold it for scrap metal the next day, basically to a scrap metal dealer for 1500 bucks. Okay. Now the house was probably worth about 20 as it sat, but it was vacant. I, and I'm in Austin, Texas, not Detroit, Michigan. Okay. So I was buying stuff for pennies on the dollar. I bought a, uh, bought a note on a property in Jacksonville, Florida, paid six grand for it. I wholesaled it for 10. It was worth 30, borrowed, uh, 65, 70,000 on it. Um, I got a, uh, A note on an eight plex in San Diego that was worth 700, the borrowed like 450. I picked it up for 375 and wholesaled it, maybe had somebody else fund the transaction and put 35 grand in my pocket in 30 days. And so back then we had a lot of distressed real estate where market was in the you know real estate was in the tank. We were buying a lot, I was buying like condos in Miami Beach for like five grand, you know, and it took me a year to 18 months to foreclose because the foreclosure uh, timelines were longer. But it would, you know, I could sell it for hundred grand at the at the foreclosure market or 50 grand at the foreclosure market. You know, so it was cheap. Real estate was on sale. The biggest, biggest regret I have is that I didn't buy 10 times more yeah. back then. You know what I mean? And hold on to it more. But a lot of opportunities. And now we we've always had distressed debt. We've always had foreclosures. If you have foreclosures, you always are gonna have distressed mortgages. And what I like about the note business is that when I was getting these lists in, it was I was seeing these deals six to twelve to eighteen months ahead of like your traditional fix and flippers. Mm-hmm. Your traditional real estate investors would never see the and never see the deals I see because I'm closer up by buying the debt. Now when I buy that debt, I become the bank and now I have the decision to work with the borrower, to keep them on track or like or work to liquidate the asset or sell it if I want to. But we only take about what only take about twenty five percent of the deals we buy to foreclosure. Seventy five percent of the time is either worked out with a homeowner in some sort of friendly repayment plan modification, or short sale, or you know they sign the property over to us and walk away. So when I started getting these lists in, without having to spend money on like direct mail or postcards or yellow letters, or I didn't have to walk out and knock on doors and get shot at like I had before. I love it. You know, I don't have to do the I don't have to do rehabs on these properties. We keep people in their houses; they're living in it. They don't, you know, I ain't got to fix it. So I love that fact that I can control real estate without having to worry about, you know, my co- contractors showing up to lay tile or paint in a timely fashion. I can literally buy the asset, and usually, in 30 to 60 days, we'll have the bar back on track of some sort, or know which way um, we're going to go with that exit strategy. And it's usually a, a bigger return on investment to us because we're buying these deals still today at 40, 50, 60 cents of, of value. So we're getting a sizable discount than what most real estate investors are seeing out there. So that's that's why I fell in love with notes at that point because I didn't have to spend all this money on marketing. They banks once we made the right contact, we, they were sending me lists to cherry pick from. and that's still the case today.
1: Great. So um, before we get into some more of the details, it, like our couple sentences, super high level, Like how, what's the, what's the most, or how would you describe, um, you know, a note or uh, like, I guess, yeah, you know,
0: great question. And I always say we're, everybody's in the note business. Okay. Everybody's already in the note business. If you've got a credit card that you owe money on, you got a car note, student loan debt, you have a mortgage, you own your, oh, your brother or cousin Bubba down the street, 200 bucks on an IOU, you're in the note space, but you're on the wrong side of the payment streams. You're paying out. Okay. You want to be receiving money on the in- income. So, when, when I talk about note investing, what we buy is actually the, mor- the mortgage, the loans. So, if you've, if you've ever bought, anybody out there has ever bought a house, they got a bank loan. Usually, probably 30 days after you close, you've got a letter in the mail saying that your mortgage has been sold to some other bank or institution. Okay. You close with ABC Mortgage Company here in, in your town. And then 30 days later, you're owing Wells Fargo's your new mortgage company or something like that. It happens all the time. Well, that's what we do. We do on a much smaller scale though than like Bank of America or Chase or Citibank is that we are literally buying those mortgages from different lending institutions who are who are selling these this, I guess you could say these problem children off at a discount because they don't want to have to foreclose. Or for every dollar that they have tied up in a mortgage that's non-paying, it costs that bank 10 to 15 times that in how they lend money out. So they would rather get 50 cents on the dollar now, let me or my team step in and deal with a borrower for six to 12 or 18 months, but they can get that 50% in now and lend it out and arbitrage it out 10 to 15 times and make their money back. So, you know, we make our money in, in, by really solving, I guess you say the, the bank's nightmares in a lot of cases, but they incentivize us because we can buy that debt at a discount. So if somebody owes 200 grand on a, on a house that's only worth 150, when we buy that note at say 75, they still owe 200. That hasn't changed. What the borrower owes, the interest rates, term has not changed. But since we didn't make the loan at 200 or whatever, we are just into it for 75. So that gives us so much flexibility in adjusting payments and modifying and and working to you know take the two years of payments the borrower hasn't made and put it on the face of the loan, or you know give them 10 grand to walk if they're not going to pay and and let them move on to their or foreclose if they won't play
1: ball with us. Right, and the reason I wanted to ask the question in that way was so we could get into how cool and how powerful the business is. Because really, what we're talking about is a win-win situation where the bank, by even though they're selling it at a, a crazy discount, maybe half the value of the note, they're 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 taking um, the way that the private banking industry works is that the opportunity cost of not having the cash flows now is much higher because they could lend it out and then just create more money and create more liquidity just. You do their business plan and um, make spreads on their on their on their financing that they um and, and lending, um, but for you now you're getting uh, an asset for ha- you're paying half the value of an asset, and getting something that's worth a hundred thousand for fifty thousand dollars, and then this one gets this is where I think it gets into the cool part where you can be a you know create some value because um I want to paint the picture that. You know, there's, act, there's actually many ways that people in your situation can uh, do a lot of good and add a lot of value for people who might um, not be in the best situation. So could you kind of talk about that, how you work with a borrower, what a typical, maybe give us a kind of a case study of how a typical deal hey, goes? Yeah,
0: let's let's do that. Let's get some simple numbers, simple math out there. So I liked what you said about, you know, $100,000 asset that we're controlling for fifty grand. So let's just say a borrower has a... Uh, a, a what, a six percent mortgage rate, okay on a hundred thousand. So they're paying they should be paying six grand a year in interest, right? That's their payments is, is basically500 500 dollars a month. Well, if we buy that note at 50 grand, they still owe that hundred grand. So we bought it at 50, they owe a 100. If we can get the borrower back on track paying, well six grand of income coming over a fifty thousand investment, that's a 12 percent cash and cash return right there, okay? Now, if we get the bar to bring some extra to the table, you know, an extra couple of months, we usually like four months of extra if they're behind by a year or more. Now, that return goes up dramatically to mid-teens or even 20%. Now, we'll hold that note for at least 12 months. So, the bar gets back on track. They're paying on time again. It's going through a third-party servicing company that's handling all the paperwork to make sure we're compliant. After 12 months, it's now considered reperforming. So now I can sell that note as a reperforming asset back to Wall Street, back to banks, to other investors out there. Let's just say it's 85 cents of the dollar. Okay. So now I got a year cash flow plus some extra on the front end from the borrower. And now that $50,000 asset, I'm selling for 85, 90 cents of the dollar. I'm making another 35,000 in profit in 12 months. So if I got six grand a cash flow for their base payments, If I had them bring another $2,500 to the table to modify it, reinstate it, right? That's $8,500 plus $35,000 in profit of the note sale. That's $43,500 in profit on a $50,000 investment. That's an 87% cash and cash return in a 12-month process. That's pretty stinking good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's pretty good even if I just held on to it for cash flow you know, um, if I'm you know borrowing money at 6% from a private lender and I'm making 18% on the on the payment stream, my investor's happy because their money's now not making negative interest with inflation. It's actually doing something. And I'm making not a 12% return on investment. I'm making an infinite return on investment because the fact I'm not using my own funds. Now, if the borrower didn't play ball, didn't restake, then we would go the foreclosure uh, route. And that could be anywhere from like a 30 day process here in Texas to three years up in where you're located at in cool. your neck of the woods, but I don't buy in New York or New Jersey, but
1: right.
0: still though, if I'm in at 50, it's going to cost me five grand to probably foreclose and servicing for the time frame, or less. I'm in at 55. I sell at the auction for 90 and you know, 90, 80, I net 85. I still make $30,000 on a $55,000 investment. That's still a good, good yield, good ROI, even if it takes six months or even a year to make that kind of stuff happen. So those are kind of things. Now the great thing is, is helping people stay in their house. You know what I mean? Um, that's always a, a great, great thing. I mean, but a lot of people went through COVID couldn't pay because they, you know, they, they were laid off, their job wasn't working. you had a lot of people in, in financial hiccups, good people. You know, we had a, a deal that we bought a note on a while back where the borrower, uh, she and her husband had lived in this house for 18 years. You know, they, they'd raised their three girls in there. Eldest one was a, uh, uh 19 or 20 at the time the two girls were still in high school but her husband had had a heart attack and was out of work for over a year recovering. and they hadn't made a mortgage payment in four four or five years because they were trying to modify it. and that their their mortgage had been sold four times as well so they would send all this paperwork in trying to do a loan modification they'd send their tax returns and bank statements and hardship letters well, they don't owe a lot. I mean, their house they owed about sixty-five thousand. As it set back a few years back, it was only worth like forty. Okay, um, you know. And when we bought, when we got this note across our table, we bought it in a pool of others, about sixty other notes. Okay, so I only ended up paying like twelve grand for this note. You know, they owed thirty-six, and and then the I'm yeah, sorry, their, the ba- the value was about thirty-five. Like I said, they owed sixty on it, and the house was somewhere around thirty-five to forty. So we paid less than 33 cents on the dollar for this asset, right? And it basically 20 cents of what was owed. Her monthly payment was like 400 a month, if I remember correctly. Well, when I got when we got the, the collateral file, the, the loan on it, we was like, well, this lady wants to stay. They've been wanting to stay for four years. Let's work with them. You know, the previous lender, the previous note holder had been trying to get the bar to bring a year of payments to the table. They just didn't have that. So I call up the bar. It's one of the few times I actually made a phone call to the bar. Usually we let our servicing company do it. And I get uh, her, Sheila on the phone is her name. Okay, She'll, Sheila and Charles. And I get Sheila on the phone and I, I tell them who I am. Hey, I mean, now you new lender. Your note's been sold. And I hear like the wind escape out of her, like a, a wind out of a sails. She's like, oh, it's been sold again. I was like, wait a second. I see your letter. I see all the stuff that you communicated with the last couple lenders were they not willing to modify or work with them? like no they wanted to spring a full year we didn't have a full year I was like okay well, let me ask you a question can you start making your payment of 450 dollars a month is your husband back to work she goes yes he's back to work yes we can start paying 450 a month i'm like great can you bring anything to the table can you bring five grand she's like no i said could you bring 2,500 she's like yes i was like okay you bring 2,500 to the table can you pay anything extra on top of that 450 a month? She's like, we could probably do 200 bucks extra per month. I'm like, let's do that then. So the first year you pay 650 a month plus the 2,500 in the first month payment. You do that for a year, Sheila, what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do for you after a year. We'll evaluate the value of your property. I know that you owe more than the, than the house is worth right now. So if 12 months, we'll re-evaluate. if it's worth 40 at that time, we'll forgive anything over $40,000. We'll reduce your debt by 20, 25 grand, whatever the value. Now the house goes up to 60, it's going to be stay 60. She's like, that's fair. I'm like, I know, but I'm going to do one other thing for you. You make 12 months of on-time payments at 2,500 plus the extra. At, on the 13th payment, what we're going to do is reduce your interest rate to zero. So that every nickel, every penny you pay goes towards the principal amount of the loan. So you're paying down your loan faster. So it won't take you 33 years to pay down your mortgage. It'll take you less than six and a half. And she's like, shut up. I think she said something mm-hmm. else. But I was like, no, 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 I'm serious. If you'll go meet with my attorney, this was in uh, Illinois. So go meet with my attorney. The next week, he will have all the docs for you to sign off of or we can send it out to you. So she, I found out that she and her husband showed up and they both cried at the table because they were so worried they were going to lose their house. They've lived in for 18 years. Six months goes by. It's come Christmas time. I get a Christmas card in the mail. Now I tell you, every time this lady thought she was going to be at least one day like she was like calling me. I was like, no, 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 you don't have to call me. Call the service company. come with their You're okay. You've got a <laughs> seven, day, seven day window. It's good, but she was so nervous. So on this Christmas card, it was like, thank you. It showed a family portrait. And it included their three daughters, and one of the daughters had a baby. And in the, the car, they said, well, we just want to say thank you so much. We were so moved by the, that you're willing to help our family, and you've never met us, that we named – my daughter named her child, her firstborn, Carson, after you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so they, they done. They just finished paying off their mortgage like two months ago. And it's when you, and now the house is worth over 150000 You know, they've got all this equity. Sometimes that's and that's the thing. Some people just need a hand up. It's not always people who are deadbeats that aren't paying their mortgage. You know, shit happens to all of us. And these this couple, from looking, they just need to the help. They need somebody to work with them. And that's one of the great things that we do. I mean, there's times that, you know, we we'll give people ten grand to walk away from their house. You know, they can't make a, a traditional mortgage payment. They can't afford it. So I'm like, listen, instead of you fighting to try to keep this dream that's now a nightmare. What you can't afford does not make sense for us. I, I don't run a charity. I donate to them, but here's what I'm willing to do. I'll give you 10 grand to walk away, you know, or your first month, last month's rent in an apartment in 24 months. When you get all your stuff back on track, you can go qualify for a new mortgage. You can go get a new house or give you some time, but let's get you out of this bad situation. We'll take the property back, give you a little bit of money to get go on your way. And it'll be, it'll, it's, it's really a win-win at that point too for them.
1: Right. And I think that, I mean, it's obviously a moving story, and it's an amazing um, opportunity you can provide for someone. But the thing that is the most amaz- amazing is that this is completely economically rational on your behalf because you know you still make a return on investment because you got the, you got such a big discount on the in, in, on the note to start out. So yeah, it's, let's um, let's
0: go back to those numbers though. Let's talk about it. so twenty five hundred. Plus six hundred and fifty times twelve months. What's that come to? That's not seventy two hundred. It's something like that. So if we figure that out, so uh, six fifty times twelve, that's seventy eight hundred plus twenty five hundred. So in cash flow, I got ten thousand three hundred come back to me on a twelve thousand dollar investment, and then I got four fifty a month for six years afterwards. Basically, I made a very good ROI on mm-hmm. um, the deal. and It was when, you know, there's sometimes we buy in bulk and there's crap. I guess you could say crap, but another man's junk is another man's treasure. <laughs> you know, there's a single mom in Cleveland her, her house was only worth like 20, but she had four kids. Her husband had left her. She was trying to go back to school to, to get a degree of some sort. I'm like, we ended up paying like a grand for it because it was just that's what the, it came down. But we had to take it with a, a 175 other assets. I just called her up. I said, listen, Christmas, Merry Christmas. We're forgiving you your debt. You don't owe us anything. I'm going to send you the stuff. Merry Christmas. Oh, I hope your ears better. And she's like, what? You know, cussing up a storm and oh, my God, Jesus, praise Jesus. You know, and like that. I'm like, no, I'm serious about this. You don't owe us anything. Because it doesn't make sense for me to foreclose on an asset that's going to cost me four grand to foreclose. And then I got to put repair into it for an asset that's only worth maybe 20 grand at the top. So I'll just eat that thousand dollar loss as a write off and make make some lemonade out of lemons. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that's pretty amazing. Also. So let's get into um, I, I'm curious about. So, yeah, we, we started touching on the 2008, but um, you kind of alluded to uh, a current situation that, um, you know, might not be optimal. So I want to hear your perspective on that and how, how it plays into your business as well.
0: So we we're really excited about the next what's going on in the market right now as a debt. Now I've been saying that we're going to see a correction in the market. Other people have to, "Oh, you're, we're not going to see any foreclosures." Well, you're not going to see a huge wave of foreclosures out there because the distressed debt's going to get bought up like guys like me months before it ever ends up going to foreclosure. But you will see, and we are already seeing numbers echo uh, disturbing trends. So, like, um, they just came out with the foreclosure numbers for the first half of 2022. Those numbers are almost identical, like just a thousand less foreclosures filed prior to COVID, and that number is going up. With a default rate sitting somewhere around three to four percent on 80 million mortgages across the country, that's still 3.2. It's somewhere between two to two to 4 million homes that are in distress dramatically. That's not just people that are missing a month, that's three months or four months of missed payments. So that's a lot of opportunity out there. And then you've also talked about the commercial, there's a lot of commercial debt that's distressed on mixed use and um, restaurant space and retail and big box, um, you know, uh, a variety of different, asset classes out there. So there's a lot of opportunity out there. You just people keep waiting for the real estate. Well, builders right now are we in a lot of the bigger cities there's a huge need for new homes. Well, with interest rates going up like they did, doubled, people are no longer able to afford, you know, if they qualified for a $500,000 house 60 days ago, they can now only qualify for a $250,000 house. So there's this huge way they numbers we see, we expect to see somewhere around a million new build homes uh, hit the market basically all at once with this distress pricing where their buy- builders are building these homes. Now their buyers aren't there. So they've got to dramatically reduce the price to make them attractive. 30, 50, $100,000 in some different markets trying to get people to come in and buy it off there. But that, 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 that's a big, big issue um, across the country out there. So I I think we're seeing, and I know it based on what I see. It's not a, a, a guess. I think, I already know that we're seeing distressed debt because there's another thing, too, Ben. I mean, doing in this business for 15 years, we've got a pretty good database or Rolodex of contacts, right? When we send an email out to our asset managers at banks, some, a lot of times we'll hear crickets. You know, they won't respond. Oh, I don't have anything this quarter because that's like, hey, what do you have on your books this month? When my phone starts to ring or my inbox starts to get full of emails from asset managers that I didn't send them an email first, that tells you. They're looking for outlets to sell their debt off. This tells you they're looking to move stuff. And then another thing, look at their hiring practices. You had all these loan officers, originators, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of um, loan officers get laid off in the last 90 days. Banks are cutting their staff from the origination side, but they're bulking up on the loss mitigation and the secondary markets where notes are sold. They're hiring like crazy on that side of the bank. So- that tells you. They don't see think they'll be originating quite a bit. there will be more on the liquidation side over the next time. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that. You can sit here and say, oh, we need this, we need this, because I, I have other investors like, oh, we're not going to see that. Yeah, there'll be cities that, across the country that aren't hit hard. I don't think Austin's going to be hit that hard. I don't think San Francisco. I don't think D.C., you know, New York, where you're at, it's always going to be – it, it takes three years to foreclose in New York City, so – Stuff that was happening in, in 2020 hasn't even hit the doorstep there yet in the Big Apple, so I, I we're we're seeing opportunity already. I see stuff like I said, I see things way ahead of most of your retail buyers out there, and uh, yeah, we we're, we're we've been bulking up to buy and buy and buy and buy, and we're we're still seeing stuff at fifty cents a dollar. I mean, we just closed on a deal in Indiana worth ninety eight thousand dollars. We picked it up for forty seven. Uh, We bought another deal in um, Miami Beach worth two hundred and twenty five. We paid one hundred for it. You know, we you know, we've we're buying all across the country in a a variety of markets. You know, Houston, Texas, worth two thirty. We picked it up for one oh nine. You know, we're going to have to foreclose or modify these. But deals are out there. You just got to get a market like anything else. You know, when and we market uniquely because we're not targeting borrowers. Or realtors, we're targeting actually the banks and the internal departments of the banks that handle this distressed debt, and so a lot less competition. Note: This is why note investing is such a niche. It's a it's a smaller niche in the market, but it's also a very very popular and very 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 um, rewarding and uh, great returns on investment and return on time as well.
1: Yeah, definitely sounds like it. And I want to just touch on one thing that you kind of commented on was um, that we're going to have a bunch of properties coming to the market that aren't gonna be able to be sold at the initial price that the, the builder thought. So, um, but the funny thing is everyone on the podcast are obviously hearing all this talk about being undersupplied uh, with, with housing, affordable housing, um, market rate housing, um, rental rental opportunities. Um, but I wanted to comment, I guess, if you had a perspective on that, I'd want you to share, but also wanted to comment that um, may, that as I guess, maybe uh, a supply increases, and demand is still above supply, which is what a lot of people are saying, that there could be momentary drops in demand when interest rates go up that cross below and actually leave us with more supply. Then overall in the long run, the demand still could be higher than supply. Um, So even if there's a short run oversupply, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a long run oversupply, but I kinda wanna know if you had a deep perspective on that.
0: Well, you have to look at the price points. You can talk in generic speakings, but here's the thing. We need, yes, Affordable housing is required. We need that. All right. Um, Every major city out there, anything below 200, $250,000 is, is, is gone. I mean, it gets bought up and then you look at rent rates too increasing 20, 30, 40% of the last couple of years. Yeah, we need that. What you're going to see a lot of distress in is that second tier. That five hundred thousand dollar home below, or you know whatever that second tier is in, in your market, if you're listening to it, okay, you know five hundred thousand dollars in San Francisco, well that's a doghouse in a lot of cases. You know what I mean? In New York City, that's a broom closet. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you have to take the numbers and get more granular or micro versus macro. Yeah, oh yeah, we need all these houses. That's why they're not going to be. That's I agree that in a certain case when you break it down market by market, the states that are going to be the cities that are going to be hit the hardest. Are the ones that have that biggest divide and you can look at your uh your, the difference between what the average house is and figure out what the mo- average mortgage payment is compared to what the average income is in that city you know what i mean and so you look at that you also look at the and that the bigger the divide that is when you start seeing where it takes somebody um, three times what they make to make live a house that's kind of the market when you start seeing well they need to make you know, the houses are worth four or five, six times what they are making. That's where you're going to see the biggest amount of, of gaps and foreclosures. It's not going to be San Francisco's, the LA's, the, the Austin's, the Boston's, the New York's may not, it may not be Miami, but you will see a lot in um, the 500 to million dollar mark already seeing that across the country. I mean, if there was such a big need for housing, b- builders and, and sellers wouldn't be dropping their listings, their listing prices so much now with everything going on. And we're not going to just see a temporary spike in interest rates. Interest rates are going to be high high. Six percent was low 15 years ago. Okay. But we're going to see interest rates continue to stay at where they're at if not increase before the end of the year. It might be up to seven, eight percent natural. I mean, we saw a three-quarter spike today. You know, they're not, it's not going to happen overnight in that interest rate's coming down. So you just got to be prepared to deal with this for 12. I guess at 12, 24, 36 months, but that's You know, every state's different too on the foreclosure timeframe. So when you have a big difference in that and people miss payments for a month, well, that's in a non-judicial foreclosure state like Texas, Georgia, Virginia, um, North Carolina, Missouri, that's a bigger default rate versus it being like in Florida, which takes 18 months to foreclose or South Carolina, which is a year to foreclose, uh, Kansas, which is a year to foreclose. So if Sony misses a month or two of payments, they're okay because now they can get back on track. They would probably be able to modify and get back on track in the next next eight months or 10 months before the foreclosure auction arrives. But in other faster foreclosure states, you're going to see a bigger increase in that. And then it all depends on what happens with the bar and those judicial states will have longer foreclosure time. And I I could stop paying in New York right now and it wouldn't affect me for three years. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's not a good thing. You know, it's not a good thing for the bank and the bar. Okay, three years of being rent-free. Great, let's throw a party. (laughs)
1: <laughs> go from there. So. Right. So I guess last question before we hit the lightning round. Um, this sounds like an attractive asset class. Uh, very exciting. How do I start investing in notes?
0: So note investing is not like buying a property or wholesaling or buying a rental. There's a different, first of all, it's a whole different mentality. You have to approach it with a banker's mindset instead of a fix and flip mindset. Cause you don't really own the property, you own the debt. So it's a receivable. Okay. So you, the biggest mistake I see new, invest, new investors that get in the note space is they overbid. They don't understand that they don't own the real estate. Our average deal time frame is like 12 to 24 months to, from the time we buy to execution, you know, of either keeping it for a while for cash flow or selling it off or foreclosure depending in the state. So you got to get educated. And I'd love to, uh, you know, I've got a one day class that I teach note invest. I mean, I teach a three day class every quarter, but every third Saturday of the month, I Have a one-day class called Note Weekend that I teach. It's usually 99 bucks. It's a great way for people to get their feet wet, stick their toes in the deep end and see if it's something for them. But if they go to noteweekend.com and type in the code, let's just do this and say Ben B E N, I'll give it to you for free. All right. Mm -hmm. So anybody out there, so noteweekend.com, code Ben B-E-N, all caps, you'll get that that one-day class for free. And it doesn't matter, it won't that doesn't expire. That's good for a while, but you, know, you got to get educated first and then you got to start tapping into uh, reaching out to banks and asset managers and see what they're doing. Now, you're not, you're not going to walk into your local branch and say, hey, I want to buy notes. They're going to laugh at you. Say, oh, we don't sell their notes. You got to know that banks and institutions, they sell stuff, but they sell it at a different, you know, different state. There's a whole internal department that handles their special assets department for the
1: most part. Awesome. Well, definitely worth looking into. And um, yeah, I hope people check out the the. Um... NoteWeekend.com, because uh, it's cool. It's a cool discount code. <laughs> <Sweet>. <laughs>
0: well, it's a class. I mean, it's recorded. If you don't can't make it live, you can always catch the replays to it. You know, we 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 focus on the three fundamentals when it comes to how to find deals. That's why we're the we're the premier, we're the number one investor recommended note training class out there because we we just really hone in on showing people how to find how to fund these deals. And then also the different ways to make money and flipping them or whatever that extra strategy might be. And like I said, I've been teaching notes for 12 years now. We've taught thousands of investors how to buy thousands of deals and we are still constantly buying. So it's always good. If you're going to learn something, make sure you're learning from somebody who's still in the, in the weeds, in the, in the business of doing the deals that they're teaching about. And we, we, like I said, we close notes. We just don't teach notes.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it, baby. Bring it on. Sweet. So if you have any superpower, what would you choose?
0: Oh, my God. Superpower. I would have to be able to read the, the ability to read people's minds. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like Dr. Xavier from the X-Men. That would be real cool. Be able to read people's minds and what they're thinking, because I wish that was the case that make me a much better note investor. out yeah. there. But yeah, you know, I can <laughs> see what people are thinking and, you know, be able to go that. I mean, it's that's you know, I like my favorite superhero is Iron Man. You know what I mean? It, it, and that's great. But he's just more of a rich guy with toys. You know what I mean? We're kind of like <laughs> Iron Man and Batman. They're just rich guys with toys for the most part. But uh Dr. Xavier, yeah, I would uh, I think the ability to read minds would be my superpower.
1: Sweet. So what's your favorite book? Or what's the one that's helped you the most in uh in Oof, That's
0: a t- that's a tough question. I mean, we I've got oh, so many books, but um one, you know, everybody's sort of thinking grow rich. You know, that's a must read if you're an entrepreneur. Um, by uh, um,
1: Napoleon Hill. Robert
0: Kiyosaki, and I mean, Think Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lechter is good. But there's another book. It's uh, Outwitting the Devil. Think and Grow Rich. Outwitting Outwitting the Devil. And this is a book that was written back in 1938, but it wasn't published until about 10 years ago. Uh, it's basically Napoleon Hill sitting down with the devil and having a conversation, asking the devil how he's to be how he's so successful, and the reason. Uh, he says, he says in this conversation, and I don't know if Napoleon Hill was just having an imaginary conversation or actually talking with the devil, who knows, but <laughs> he said that he's able, the, the, the devil's successful in, in uh, having people drift. He's successful in keeping people from accomplishing and being the most productive is that he throws distractions in our way. You know, that you've heard the shiny object syndrome and the squirrel syndrome. The people that are most successful in the world, in life, in finances, or whatever it is, it's because they're the most focused. They say no, they put blinders on to distractions. So they're just solely focused. And that's really, if you're going to do something, you can really, as an entrepreneur, only focus on one, maybe two things outside of your family. If you've got a full time job, your side hustle can only really truly be one thing to be successful at it. So that's the thing is one of the most powerful books I've ever read is Thinking Grow Rich, Outwitting the Devil. Uh, and Sharon Lecter, who's a co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, she was given the manuscript 10 years ago, went in there, left it pretty much the same as Napoleon wrote it in 38. But she added at the end of each chapter what she thought Napoleon would think of in the world today. And mm-hmm. God knows we're full of we've got so many distractions out there. Netflix, Hulu, all the streaming services, all the social media distracting us. You know, you, I, I have found that I'm more successful along with my friends and family members and colleagues are more successful because they say no a lot. No to the distractions until they get the, <clears throat> until they get their sole purpose, their sole focus done. Then they'll add something else. You can't be a Jack of all trades. Uh, Cause because you if you are, you'll be a master of none of them. So focus on
1: one thing and stick with it. And that's why that book is so powerful. Awesome. So what motivate, motivates you to continue every day?
0: What motivates me is I, you know, I think it's, one thing that's always with me is I don't you know, don't want to be a failure. I think so many entrepreneurs have a um, what do they call that? To not, oh, I, I think we all suffer from imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? We're like, I, I'm you know, I've been teaching for a while. And we get a lot of people that listen to podcasts and they're taking my class, and like, oh my God, oh God. I was like, look, I'm just a normal guy that wipes my ass We'll multiply toilet paper like you. I put my <laughs> underwear on one leg at a time. You know what I mean? I'm just a normal guy that's just focused and developed my superpower of being a great note investor and I'm just normal. I'm not any more talented. I just outwork people. And that's the thing uh, that drives me most is this fear of failure. And the, my dad was my hero growing up and he always says, Scott, it doesn't matter if you fail at something, it's if you give up on something. You know what I mean? It's okay if you've got a dream to set that dream down for a while, if you've got to go provide for your family or friends or get a job, whatever it means. But don't give up, all right? And you're going to have peaks and valleys. Entrepreneurship is not a straight and narrow road. It's a twisted curve of a road to get where you want to be. And real estate is just like that. you got to know ups and downs and tweaks and the market changes. And you got to be able to pivot and rotate and sometimes stop something for a little while while you do something else to get back on track. And um, that's the thing I would probably tell you the most is when I get up in the morning, it's like, okay, what am I doing today? How can I impact? What's one person I can affect today? I think so many things in podcasting and and content creators, they want something to go viral. You're never going to go viral if you try to go viral. The only way you really go viral is if you you focus on having that message for one person or try to help one person at a time, and then that resonates with your crowd or tribe or people out there. You solve a problem that people are doing. So that's one of the biggest things. As I just wake up every day, okay, what am I going to market today? How can I help that one person? Because if I can help one person, it's a good day. And of course, there's days that we have just explosions of downloads or podcasts that listens or whatever it might be. That's great. But it's all, how can I help and answer that one question that that one person is thinking about today?
1: Awesome. Well, since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So feel free to ask me anything you want to know about me.
0: What's your biggest biggest fear when it comes to real estate investing?
1: Um, That the market won't save me, that I go in, I buy a, a property and just... The, the act of God occurs, or something, or the or just the precipitous drop in the the market, um, just like wipes out the value, and that I could be theoretically doing everything right and still, um, you know, not have any, or still have very few options of. Um, well, that's why. Well,
0: that's why it's real estate. That's why you you buy an LLC. You know, you buy an entity in your own name, so if something goes route right, you can walk away and not be personally affected. Second thing on that, you always buy right. If you buy right and know the asset class, you shouldn't be buying at top of the value. If an act of God happens, that's what they made insurance for. So you better be putting insurance on your property. But th- that's the biggest thing. There's no perfect deal out there. Markets go up, markets go down. This is why you talk to people that are doing the deals that you're wanting to do and see what they're doing um, and, and really pick their brain and, and answer have them answer, ask the questions. Don't listen to your grandma. Or your uncle, or somebody who's not doing—they've got an opinion like assholes. Everybody has one. Go seek <laughs> counsel from somebody who's actually doing it and live through it, and you'll, be, right. you'll feel a lot more comfortable.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely makes sense. Part of the reason I have a awesome podcast where I get to talk to a lot of people. So, <laughs> I got
0: a second question for you. What oh, yeah. What's your five year goal?
1: Five year goal. Um, I guess I I wanted to be. This is the tangibility aspect of it. Um, It could come into it can come in multiple different forms. I have like some ideal forms, but fundamentally, I think ten thousand dollars of passive cash flow a month would be an ideal level to be at. Where like in five years, I'll be what twenty six, and it would be set me up to like have the flexibility to maybe have start a family or start you know be, you know the comfort to be serious with a, a potential. Future spouse to um, you know feel like I can support myself and people around me and um, kind of have the freedom to not you know just feel feel free of of uh, I guess not necessarily needing a job to stay fed you know just kind and you know I think that uh, it's a good foundation to be twenty seven have that and uh, it'd be cool to go from there.
0: So yeah, ten grand a month coming in cash flows one hundred twenty grand a year. It's not bad at all there for you. So you got five years to get to that. So that means between now and then you need to basically be every year adding $2,000 in cash flow to your bottom line. Right, Ben? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you like notes, that's like four or five deals a year performing notes that you could buy one every, every other month, basically every three months, once a quarter, you could buy a performing note, bringing in roughly 400 to $500 a month. And yeah. you could do that with none of your own capital. God knows there's trillions of dollars of private capital sitting out there and you could be giving people good yield. So, that's what I would tell you. you. If you were to get one deal though, you got to make like 10 offers.
1: Right. So
0: if you needed to close on, you know, five deals this year to get to that thousand, you know, that $2,000 a month for your goal this year, that means you would need to be making 50 offers. That's basically one a week.
1: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's good. Good math.
0: I like that. <laughs> but that's a, that's the thing. A goal is great, but you need to break down and, and take a look at the activities of what you want to accomplish, you know, right. six figures a year. That's a very common goal. 10 grand a month, that's a, that's a feasible goal if you put the work in and you got to start making those offers. So that takes me my next question. My, mm-hmm. my third question with your fourth question where we're at. How many offers have you, not your company that you work with, how many offers on any type of real estate have you made in the last 12 months?
1: I've made a couple, not personally. So No, 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 no. no. So that, that, that doesn't yeah. answer
0: the question personally it's great to have a job it's great to be where you're at working i'm not not not, not we all got to learn that right we got to learn the business but don't let your age or inexperience stop you from making offers get out there make offers you're in, you're in new york are you originally from new york or where's where's no, where? I'm from dc it's okay from washington dc that's right so virginia maryland plenty of opportunity outside washington dc is a little expensive as we know that mm-hmm. But Maryland, you got plenty of opportunities there with Baltimore and other areas, you know. Um, Virginia is a fast foreclosure state, other great areas there too for you. So those areas, the East Coast is full of, of opportunities there for you. So that's the thing. It's yes, I get that you've got to be working for your, your company and making offers for your bosses. I get it. But that should not stop you from going out and investing for yourself. So don't wait to do that. Start doing that now. Get out networking for everybody out there that's worried about not having a capital. Just go to your local real estate club, start networking online or in person and start making some offers on, on, on focus on the deal flow that you want and go from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, you uh, know, see a lot of deals too, to see, um you know, guess what the, the right deal is,
0: but well, that, that, that's, that's, that, that, there's no perfect deal. If you like multifamily, yeah. then you got to spend time with multifamily. Although multifamily is the most overpriced asset class right now. Maybe you need to buy some assets, you know, rentals that you can turn into short-term or long-term rentals or, or distressed debt where you can turn it into, cash flowing notes without having to do any of the fixed or toilet tenants and trash yet so
1: <laughs> right.
0: there's a lot of opportunity you just got to pick one or two asset classes and focus on
1: it sounds good well that's uh that's the plan and appreciate this advice and uh one of the great things about having a podcast and i hope it hope it applies to anyone listening as well so great yeah. well it's scott up. it's been a pleasure to have you on the show i've learned a lot and i'm sure everyone listening has learned a lot um i hope everyone checks out uh what's the what's the website again
0: WeCloseNotes.com is how you, you connect with me. You know, if you want to pick my brain for 30 minutes, you can do so by going to TalkWithScottCarson.com. Uh, check out the Note Closer Show podcast. There are over 700 episodes. And guys and gals, listeners of all ages out there, Ben is kicking his ass and taking names. And we as podcasters, we love to hear from our audience. So make sure if you're listening to this, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And then make sure you hit over there, hit the, re- the review and leave leave Ben a five-star review. Tell me what you like the most about the episode or his what he's doing. So he's, like I said, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to share. And uh, the more we hear from you, the, the more it drives us on a day in, day out basis to show up and record other episodes. Right,
1: Ben? Very true. Very true. Well, I appreciate that. And everybody, keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say, thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, Please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support, and keep making milestones.